This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. Last week on the show, we spoke about what author Michael Pollan calls the great dance of plants and pollinators in his book, The Botany of Desire. So that's the pretty side of pollination, right? The arguably romantic side, the side that's become very popular to talk about and write about in recent years. But many of us know that there is a darker, nastier side to pollination, hay fever. For lots of us, pollen from trees, grass, and weeds make outdoor activities a lot less tempting in the spring and summer months, even if we're not quite sure what it is exactly that we're allergic to. All of them. You name it, I got it. I just die. I, <laughs> I sneeze, get watery eyes, and um, I can't breathe. I just, like, start coughing, and, like, like right now, I just, I just feel like, I just feel like boogers out. Runny nose, scratchy throat, red eyes, my eyes tear. Most brutal about it is that I get really like um, allergies in my face. If, a, if pollen hits me or some kind of hair, um, I get kind of red bumps, little bumps in my, in my face, on my skin. But I also react with watery eyes, with running nose, with uh, sore throat, um, the, the usual, the normal. You have to live through through the season, and once the season is gone, the next couple of weeks, then life will be beautiful again. It's still beautiful, even when I'm sneezing and wheezing. In a few minutes, because even if you are sneezing and wheezing, it is still beautiful outside, we'll go out and explore the once abused and now renewing Bronx River by canoe. But first, those who do suffer from hay fever, or as the pharmaceutical industry likes to call it, seasonal allergies, are likely to take a keen interest in my studio guest today. Guy Robinson is a lecturer in Fordham's Department of Natural Sciences, and perhaps more interestingly for those of us who spend most of the warmer months sneezing, he is one of the people responsible for the pollen count that appears in weather reports throughout the spring, summer, and autumn months, and lets us know if we're in for it on any given day. We spoke last week, and in case you're wondering, yes, I was having some allergy problems during the interview. Guy Robinson, welcome. Thank you. Hello. So tell me how Fordham is involved in generating the pollen count number. Well, we have, a, um, we have an air monitoring station up in central Westchester in Armonk, and uh, there's a device installed on a rooftop that draws in air at a steady rate. It narrows it down into a focused stream, which then ends up on a microscope slide, and we then put that microscope slide on a microscope and then go ahead and just start counting pollen grains one by one. So you actually count the little pollens one by one? What do they look like? Well, they're, they're quite different from one another, and that's how we're able to tell different species of trees and plants and grasses. They're different in terms of their, their size, their um, surface texture, and other features to do with their shape. So is it sort of how many pollens, I don't know, pollens? Do you call them pollens? We call them pollen grains, ah. yes. How many pollen grains you find on your slide is sort of uh, extrapolated out then? Yeah, it's broken down, and this I think is quite important, it's broken down into types of pollen, what types of plants this pollen is coming from, because what you're finding is that people are allergic to different, different plants. What are some of the biggest offenders pollen-wise? Right now is one of the important ones uh, from late April through most of May is oak, and just before that, kind of overlapping in season, is birch. And these are quite heavy producers of pollen, and there are, in this region of the Northeast, 
there are several species of each of those types of, of birches and oaks, and so they don't have exactly the same time of flowering, so they tend to kind of overlap, and, and overall they extend the season considerably. I understand in recent years, many records have been broken pollen-wise. Tell me about that. We've had record counts in 2006 and this year. 2007 was not extraordinary. It was a fairly normal year. But the numbers, the springtime numbers, have been quite extraordinary, uh, usually in late April to early May. Now, this year has, has also been giving us some record numbers. I think, uh, yeah, we, we probably had our third and uh, second and third highest numbers in this springtime. So what do you attribute that to? All I can say is that things are flowering a lot, but I can't say exactly why. Uh, it seems to be correlated with having a, an extended cool spring, um, and then when it turns warm, things flower quite quite suddenly in large numbers, but I can't say whether that's, there's probably a number of other factors. Do you yourself suffer from allergies? I do, and that's actually not not to do with why I do the pollen counts, but it, it, it did help me find out what I was allergic to. So I guess you're quite close to it. Well, I'm not any closer than I am at any other time. I, when I do the counts, I don't have to deal with the pollen that I'm actually counting. It's on a slide, so it's enclosed in a, in a medium where it's not getting airborne anymore. But it's hard to avoid the fact that it's in the air all around. And I think that's one of the things that we don't always realize. We don't have to be standing under an oak tree to be getting allergic reactions to oaks. The the pollen usually becomes, particularly from trees, the pollen becomes very broadly dispersed and widely dispersed, and it gets lofted up quite high into the lower atmosphere. So um, even if you're quite high up, you'll still be way over the, the treetops, you'll still be breathing in pollen. Now, how long, have, um, how long has Fordham been keeping track of this? We've had records going back to 1995, and in the time you've been keeping track, have you had any pollen-related surprises? It's a surprise when we when we cut through previous records, and it, and as I say, that's been happening the last couple of years, but not not every single year. Um, it's just that it takes me a long time to count when when we have high numbers. It sometimes, if we have really high numbers, it may take me three hours sitting there with a the microscope. Yeesh. Well, uh, Guy Robinson is a lecturer in Fordham's Department of Natural Sciences, and you can see pollen counts along with photographs of pollen at fordham.edu slash pollen. Guy Robinson, thanks so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Allergies can keep you from going outside much when you know the pollen count is high. But if you do go outdoors in New York City, you may find yourself confronted by a place that feels like it's the world's hottest, stickiest, and smelliest. There are, of course, many areas in New York that are exclusively devoted to hanging out outdoors. Central Park comes to mind. But as a rule, you don't have many chances to be outside in a place that you could actually describe as peaceful. You wouldn't necessarily think of the Bronx River as one of those places either. For the last several decades, the river's been known for sludgy water and debris-strewn banks. 
but in recent years, it's been making a comeback. That's thanks in part to organizations like the Bronx River Alliance. They've been doing a lot of work to make the river a clean and functioning ecosystem, and they've been seeking to restore the river's good name. One of the ways they're looking to do this is by leading paddling and biking trips down the river. I joined the Bronx River Alliance's Teresa Crimmins and Michael Hunter on one of those paddling trips. The Bronx River starts up in Westchester and goes down to just above Hunts Point, but we started our trip at the Bronx Zoo. We're on the Bronx River. We're in the freshwater section, and right now we're passing by the uh, Bronx Zoo bison exhibit. And we're just upstream of the uh, sort of double waterfall that you see when you enter the zoo on the Bronxdale Gate. So we're going to portage through the middle. Oh, I think we just saw a big fish. Can you see those? Oh, my God, look at all of them. Right now we're in sort of a small section of the river. It's maybe about 40 feet wide, 50 feet wide. And um, we've got pretty much vegetation on both sides of us as we go through the zoo. And that's true pretty much of everything upstream of here. Bronx Park, um, when it was set aside, made sure that there was a pretty good buffer of, of green space on both sides of the river. Um, So when you're paddling down the river, you get to experience kind of a nice, shady, um, cool river. And that'll change a little bit when we go downstream. (laughs) We're approaching the first dam here. All right, here's our first stop. (laughs) We're heading downstream from these dams that we just portaged around. Actually, we're about to go by where the Beaver Lodge is. Historically, beaver were all over the sort of New York City region. And as far as we know, the last known beaver in this area was probably, what was the figure they were saying, like 200 years ago, 250? So it's, it's been a long time. And conceptually for people, I think, to know that there really are things living and thriving on the Bronx River is, is important because it, we've been making a lot of progress in terms of ecological restoration and trying to improve the habitat on the Bronx River. It's just kind of, it's, it's nice to hear about these things. It's nice to see the fish. It's nice to, to know about the beaver because in people's minds, it becomes a beautiful place, a place that things live in. And it's, it changes the perception from that of a dumping ground, which I think was the perception of the Bronx River for a long time, to more of a resource, which is really what we're hoping that the people who live near the river consider it. We got quite a tall-looking egret walking around over there. And um, we're entering the impoundment that's above the 182nd Street Dam of the zoo. So when there's a dam in the river, upstream of the dam, the water tends to sort of widen out and sediment deposits because the water is slowing down, so the sediment drops out of the water. You'll be able to tell here it's kind of shallow, and it looks a bit wider than the rest of what we've seen so far. So this is a kind of a pretty relatively quiet section of the river because we have so much of the zoo on both sides of us. You notice, though, it's a little less quiet on our, right si- or our left side because the Bronx River Parkway is not too far away over there. And you can see in through the trees there that kind of metal thing. It's the Bronx Zoo monorail. And if we're lucky, we'll get to see the monorail actually driving over us in a few minutes. Most people, when I say Bronx River to them, they think first of the parkway. And the parkway 
you know, its, it's history is very tied to the river's history, as you might imagine. When the parkway was built, it was the first in the nation. And it was, so it was the first roadway that was built, you know, with this notion of having parkland alongside of it. And, you know, though the building of a road may not be the best thing ecologically for a river right next to it, the, the parkland that came along with it really did a lot for keeping a decent amount of buffer zone around the river, even though it's, it's a very urban river. So the fact that the parkway was built allowed us to have, you know, all these trees that we're seeing on both sides of us here, instead of having development right up to the banks. However, when, I guess when the parkway was sort of renovated, I guess, in the 1950s. So that, that happened in, a, I think, the 1920s. And then when the, in the 1950s, the parkway within the Bronx is kind of the more highway-ish road that we know today. It's bigger, wider, more lanes. So when that was built, large portions of the river were straightened. So rivers are naturally sort of sinuous. They turn and, and curve. But a lot of the Bronx River through the Bronx is actually pretty straight, and that's as a result of the parkway being built right next to it. People want straight roads, so they straighten the river to kind of run parallel to it. The Bronx River Valley Sewer Commission, which I think was 1898, it was a, a report that was done about the Bronx River, I believe labeled it as an open sewer. And that's because... Historically, many municipalities did use their rivers as basically open sewers. If you dump your waste into a river, the river takes it away for you. Um, that coupled with, I think, just the, the large amount of development, the fact that we know that the Bronx is very developed, people tend to think of the river as not so nice a place if they're thinking about it in those terms. Um, but I think that more and more people who actually see the river... Um, know that it is, it's, it's quite lovely. It's beautiful and it's got lots of life um, both in it and around it. So I think that that perception is changing a lot. Here's the monorail. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Just after the show today, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, a new museum honoring Woodstock. That's ahead at 7.30. But first, let's get back to our peaceful, and hopefully not allergy-ridden, paddling tour of the Bronx River. My tour guides are Teresa Crimmins and Michael Hunter of the Bronx River Alliance. I asked Teresa to tell me a little bit more about the river. So it runs for 23 miles. It starts up in Valhalla, New York, near the Kensico Dam. And it runs down pretty much through the middle of Westchester County for about 15 miles. Then enters uh, the Bronx and runs for eight miles through the middle of the Bronx, through the Botanical Garden, through the zoo, and then out past Soundview and into the Long Island Sound. There are some huge snapping turtles in this part of the river. Oh, I think we scared him. In 2005, we did a Bronx River bioblitz. Have you heard of bioblitzes before? They're basically a speedy sort of census. So it's 24 hours and you get teams of scientists and volunteers and they sort of go out and blitz the area and look for, to identify as many species species as they can. So species of plant, animal, fish, bird, fungi. As part of that bio blitz, 
there was a scientist here in the zoo who set up turtle traps, and he found a turtle that he estimated, a snapping turtle that he estimated was, I think, 50 years old. And so that was just amazing to me to think, you know, this was in 2005, so I thought, God, this turtle has been here since 1965, hanging out in the Bronx River, and, you know, all the, all the changes that, that we've seen happen, you know, presumably, the turtle didn't feel very much. 55, 1955, do I not know how to add? Well, he was also here in 65, wasn't he? It's not to say he wasn't here in 1965. He was in his turtle adolescence. Exactly. He doesn't remember anything from 55. He was just a baby well, turtle. Up ahead, Nora, you're seeing some cormorants. They're like an oily black fishing bird. And they're, you see them commonly down here in this, like the southern part of the freshwater section and all throughout the saltwater section. And they have kind of an eerie look to them and they are often fanning their wings and they run right about eye level to a canoe often. This is our second portage. The next couple of blocks are going to be a little rough, a little bony, because the river is quite low. So there may be a few spots where I'm just pulling along. <laughs> you can keep going. Downstream of 182nd Street, we're right next to River Park, the park that's at um, 180th and Boston Road. We're about to sort of go through the West Farms community. As soon as we actually are moving, that is. What do you want me to do? Oh, no, I was just. Oh. <laughs> this is some of our only sort of rapid area. We've got some people fishing over here on the right. Do people eat the fish from here, or do they just catch and release? I think there's a bit of both that go on. Um, some of our partner organizations, like Rocking the Boat, have um, outdoor education programs and uh, boat building, and they're out on the river quite a bit, and they have a study where they ask fishermen, you know, what have you caught? What are you going to do with it? And they, they find that? both. Where did you get that canoe from? Bronx River Alive. So you notice that the uh, area around you makes a big transition right about here. It goes from an area that was all, it's all contiguous parkland into a, an area that's broken up, more mm, residential parkland and what happens when train trestles and bridges come through, just changing, changing your scenery. Well, we just went under the bridge and now the first entirely concrete wall on the left there has changed has made the difference of the bank from dirt and trees to concrete. And we're also seeing quite a bit more trash in this area. Litter, plastic bags, and um, what comes with sort of the development right up against the river, unfortunately, sometimes is more litter, um, more sort of debris that people don't want for whatever reason. and kind of send down over the banks of the river. So there, and there was like graffiti on the underside of that underpass and... Yes. Natural areas in general in the city, um, you know, rivers being one of them and places under bridges tend to be hidden. And so therefore tend to be places where, where people go if they don't want to be seen. <laughs> Woo! And you can see this, this brick building that's all along the left of us here. And this is the number two and five line, the elevated train. 
are about to pass under here. So it also gets quite a bit uh, noisier with street traffic and train traffic. See the flowers and the, and the gourds and things. Um, there are some groups of people that that see the river as sort of a, a spiritual place. So that's why in this section you'll see gourds and, and other sort of vegetables and things like that. Offerings of uh, metals and baskets of fruit. This is pretty much the lowest bridge that we go under, so it can feel kind of spooky. How high is it? Five, six feet over our heads. Drew Gardens, it's a community garden. So what neighborhood is this? Still West Farms? I guess it's still West Farms. We've got the, the bus depot um, on the other side of us. There's like a little strip of parkland along here to the left um, and then the bus depot. And then on the right also a little strip of parkland and the Sheridan Expressway. So on the other side of the bus depot, we've sort of venturing almost into the kind of the Bronx River neighborhood. And on the right side, I guess, it's still the West Farms. So this area is known as Starlight. Um, just south of the Blue Bridge ahead of us, it's being developed on both sides in part of the Bronx River Greenway and New Parkland. Starlight was an amusement park between the World Wars, between World War I and World War II. Before that, it was a manufactured gas site. Um, after that, the city basically has used the land. There was a coliseum that was built and then moved to Philadelphia. The Bronx Exposition was held there. It was like around 1908 or 1909. And um, then there's been a bus depot which has stayed there. That's at 177th Street. Basically all along our right hand side there's developing acreage of parks and on the left side is a developing greenway route that'll allow pedestrians and bicyclists to follow along the river. It connects with the greenway that's already built in Soundview and will connect with the northern reaches of the, of the greenway. The city's grand plan NYC links all of the proposed greenways that are being built across the city currently. The Bronx River Greenway is just one little section of greenway that's in the overall five borough picture, um, but it's a very important one because it connects the north and south ends of the Bronx. You see this big pile of sort of gravelly looking stuff. There's this one and then there's another pile. I heard the uh, contractors the other day referring to it as Mount Starlight. Um, Michael mentioned that, the, that Starlight Park is a former site of a manufactured gas plant. So when State DOT was making some improvements to the Sheridan Expressway, they were using Starlight Park as a staging area. And through that, in that, during that time, they found contamination in the soil that was remnants from the manufactured gas plant. So at that point, they had to find a responsible party, which ended up being um, Con Edison. And Con Edison worked then with, with parks, with the community, and with the state agency, the DEC, the State um, Environmental Regulating Agency, to work out sort of what the cleanup level should be for the park because it is going to be a park that people use and they, they want to you know, feel safe in the park. So right now what you're seeing here is some of the remediation in progress, some of the contaminated soil removal. 
see those little baby ducks? I guess they're not really that little. They've been diving. I saw them when they were over here on the right side and they sort of dove their way across the river so you could barely see them. The natural world functions even amid all of the, the concrete and roads and buildings of, of a city because it does still function. And so, you know, I've studied both environmental science and biology and I was really interested in, in knowing, you know, how well it functions because I guess intuitively a lot of people think that it won't function very well. But what a lot of what we've seen on the Bronx River is that there there is still a lot of wildlife. As you can see, there's there's lots of vegetation still thriving along the banks. The Bronx River is the only true freshwater river in New York City. So it's the only river that runs freshwater through the city, which makes it a very unique um, habitat type. You can see fish and potentially birds and other plants there that you won't see anywhere else in the city. Um, and then just this, this kind of long paddling experience is unique to the Bronx River, I think, in the city. If you were to just look down at the city, you'd see this nice long green belt with a little blue streak running through it, and that'd be the river and its banks of green. And as we all know, it's very hot in just concrete. Concrete doesn't absorb, it doesn't absorb and cool heat, it just radiates heat like the city does, so, or a, a street without green streets. So all of the trees and little green swath that the river creates helps to keep our environment a little cooler. And as Teresa was saying, with the birds and fish, it's a migratory corridor, so it allows the birds passageway through the, you know, hot and confusing built environment. There was a migratory bird study that showed that the Bronx River corridor was really used by these birds that are coming from South America and these places far away as they're flying north. Um, they're using it as a stopping grounds to feed and to rest and to cool off. Um, similarly, the fish, the, the alewife that were introduced, alewife, part of their life cycle, they'll go out to sea and they'll become food for, for larger fish and, uh, and sea lions and stripers and all sorts of other um, things that really make the ecosystem work. So being sort of an inlet, it's a kind of a breeding grounds for, for fish and it's a place for birds to rest and so it's really an integral part of the sort of larger ecosystem. Could you describe sort of if we were to just look straight forward what we would see? You see car roofs, is that what those are? Uh, parts of cars, Parts yeah. of cars, kind of all stacked up on each other on top of a corrugated steel fence. Um, basically looks like an, an auto body operation of some sort. Um, oh, and we passed on the right. Um, it's kind of back to back to back buildings that come right up to the river. Um, there's some new development happening right there. It's a um, hotel that's going up right along the river. Um, you can hear that drill or something. Cars being worked on. Air gun, is that what that is? Air gun, yeah. It's probably taking bolts on and off the wheels. Something, parts off the cars, stripping them. And the train's going by over there as well. The six. The six train, right. And then this sort of lower train trestle that you see here is um, where the Acela comes yeah. through. And meanwhile, there's a, is that a cormorant there fishing? Yep. That black, yep, yeah. And then straight ahead, can you see those kind of red towers? The towers are from an old concrete plant, and right now what you're looking at is Concrete Plant Park. So it's, it's actually parkland. Concrete plant was turned over to the city, and 
for a while, the property was sort of on the city's auction block, but there was a lot of community um, pressure to make it into a park because it's valuable river access. Um, so it's this long, skinny park that runs from Westchester Avenue down to Bruckner Boulevard. It's going to be a key link in the Bronx River Greenway, and um, it's going to be a huge addition to the parkland that is so needed in the South Bronx. My hope is that more and more people know about it, get to see it, get to paddle down it, get to learn about it. There's, there's lots of really innovative projects happening here, like on the right here, the salt marsh restoration. You know, people restored a salt marsh on a bank that used to have 40,000 tires on it. So I think finding ways to do that in the, in the urban environment is really amazing, and I hope that we continue to, to think creatively about the river. My fear is that people will take it for granted because um, I think it does need a lot of, of care and I hope that people will continue to give it care. You want to turn around? You can learn more about the Bronx River Alliance and sign up for a trip of your own at bronxriver.org. From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. You can also listen to the show in our audio archive, which is also at WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.